So I'm excited about this series, We Still Believe. And I, as I told the church a couple months ago, this is a series that I've been really excited to preach for some of you who are here for the first time. Um, this has been something I've been really excited to share because it's something I've never officially preached at this church. It's been here seven years. And I have not really laid this out, mostly because I believe when we talk about things that we believe that are foundational, that it's really best to preach those or to teach those in a small format. In other words, I prefer a group study or a Bible study where you can really dig in. And this is no knock to you. This is no shot to you or anybody else in this room. But we're living in a time when fewer fewer Christians are very literate of the Bible. They don't really understand or know the Bible in years before. And so in years before, in seasons when people understood scripture and understood had references at least to the Bible you could preach differently because all you had to do is make reference to it and people would understand the context but we can't pre preach and present in that way today because for a lot of people they're not as familiar with the Bible and I want to say that's not a bad thing can I just say it that way because sometimes what you think you know about the Bible can get in the way what you think you heard God said can prevent you from really hearing what he's saying. And some of our own, the word is, good theological word, presuppositions. It's just like your lenses or what you see um, can really dictate what you really think and what God is trying to say. And so what we love about this church and what I love to do is to teach people not only how to study the Bible, but to love the Bible. Can I just tell you that I love the Bible? I love it. I love it to a deep, deep level. I'm so fortunate to have had the opportunity to go to school and to learn how to, how to teach it to you better and from a foundational way. And so this series is really about what we believe. And more specifically for those who have grown up in the Adventist church, the Seventh-day Adventist church. Some of you may understand why there's so many denominations. Why does it matter? Isn't it just one church? Why do we all have to believe differently? Well, the reason that there are a lot of different denominations can be argued by from uh, different uh, people, but one of the main reasons is that it's the way people study the Bible. And the way you study, the way you approach it, when you approach it differently, you come to different conclusions. But the, but the Bible teaches us that the Bible has a way of explaining itself, that it is the Word of God, and God reminds us in Scripture that if we come to it uh, with a clear conscience and a clear mindset to just allow the Word to speak, that God will speak to us and we will see it. So what I'm doing really is laying out foundationally what we teach in terms of, here's a big theological word, doctrine. Y'all ever heard that word today before? Doctrine. So it's not really a doctrinal series, but it is some things that are foundational. Foundational. And today what I want to talk to you about is we need a Savior. Can you say that with me? We need need a savior something very foundational but something very impactful we need a savior can i say it this way jesus is our savior and it's very foundational that we believe that it's really something that scripture talks about all the time that salvation really how is the key to salvation really is believing not only in jesus but that he's your savior, that he is 
your Savior. And when we talk about Jesus being our Savior, we're not just talking about him saving humanity. We're not just talking about the human race. We're not just talking about solving the problem of sin in humanity. We're talking about God saving you personally. So we say Jesus is not only our Savior, he's my Savior. And I would really want to call the question, I want want to really let that question simmer and flow through your mind today. Because by confessing that, you really admit a few things. First of all, when you confess that Jesus is your Savior, you're admitting that you're messed up. That's number one, right? And you're also admitting that you need help. When you say, Jesus is my Savior, you are saying, that I'm messed up and I need help and I am acknowledging that the only way I can get help comes from Jesus. Now, I would challenge the way we think about that because sometimes we believe Jesus is our Savior in theory, in our mind, but not in our heart because we've tried other things to save us. We've tried other methods to correct things in our life. But believing that Jesus is your Savior believes, meaning you believe and you trust God that not only do you need help, not only are you messed up, but that the only one that can help you is Jesus. There is, may I suggest to you, church family, that there is help that only comes from him. Here's the hard thing, though. Here's the reality. Most of us have a hard time confessing that we're messed up. Most of us have a hard time confessing when we've done something wrong. Hello, married people. Don't say, I'm trying to help a brother out. Brother, just looking straight. Brother, just like, I know, I know what to do now. I'm just going to look straight. I'm going to look straight at you. I'm not going to look at her. I'm not going to nod my head. All the brothers. That's right. I'm helping y'all out. It's hard sometimes to confess that we've messed up. It's hard sometimes to confess that we're wrong. I don't know what's coming with this new generation. There's just a new generation of thinking that just, they just don't, they're not wrong. I don't know where that's coming from, um, but it's just a different whole season, a generation where people just don't, you just can't tell them they're doing something wrong. It's hard. You know, I had this phrase growing up because where I grew up was a little bit different. Uh, The adults in our life, whether they were related to us or not, made it very clear when we were wrong. I heard a lot of things growing up. I heard a lot of things and had a lot of people in my life, I don't know if you were raised this way, where people would check you. They would make sure that you were in line. Make sure you didn't talk back to people, right? Make sure you treated people right. Make sure you did the right thing. And if you didn't, well, there would be either a word or child abuse. You would pretty much jump right to that. I grew up in that generation. But one of the things, I I grew up hearing a lot, um, if I could just be honest, I didn't grow up in a a perfect family, neither did you. Come on, just be honest with me. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of times some disagreements and some scuffles and some fights in our family and very often in the neighborhood that I grew up. And one of the phrases that I heard a lot was, I wish you would. Now, let me break this down for some of you. I mean, I understand this urban vernacular that I am speaking of. There'd be a disagreement, a fight, something like that, and it would be escalating. And and one thing, if you grew up in a certain uh, environment, in a certain part of the city, you knew when something was getting ready to jump down. Things just don't catch you by surprise. You know when to run. Nobody has to tell you to run. 
You know when it's time to fight, take off your shirt or your whatever you're wearing. You know that. You know when it's time when something's ready to happen. And it's something would generally get ready to happen when you hear those words. I wish you would. Now, in that statement, what the person is actually trying to confess and what they're trying to convey to the, the person is that either they are the aggressor or the, or the one that someone's being aggressive towards. And in that statement, I'm just trying to break it down here philosophically for you. They are, they are, they are not asking for the per person to agitate them. They're not asking for that. What they're doing is actually giving a warning. And they're showing mercy in that warning by really confessing openly, I wish you would, to tell you that if you continue in the manner in which you are continuing, that there will be repercussions and I will have to respond with violence or other, uh, some other force of response. I wish you would. Everybody ever heard that before? Anybody ever said that before? I wish you would. I wish a blank would. That's how, that's how some of y'all would say it. Come on, we in church. Let's just be honest. I wish a blank would. Maybe that start with an N. Maybe start with a B. You can fill in all the blanks. I don't need to give you any ideas. But you know what you said when you said, I wish you would. What you're saying is, <laughs> go ahead and laugh. Because I know you was thinking, is he getting ready to say it? It's too late in the year for me to say it. I'm trying to build the church. I don't want somebody to say, what, that pastor, I wish. <laughs> That's all you're going to remember. What we're saying is, when we say that, when we heard it, you've crossed the line. You've crossed the line. You, you have broken my personal boundary. I need to explain to you that I wish you would means if you cross this line, something's getting ready to happen. And I've already decided in my mind the response I'm getting ready to give you because you're doing what? You're crossing the line and you're crossing my boundary. Do you know that God has boundaries? Do you know I think there are things that God says you are crossing the line? And I thank God that he's not the kind of God that says I wish you would. Now, some people have portray God to you that that's the way he is that he's like yeah I wish you would that God is angry and he's looking for a reason to destroy you but that's not true but God does have boundaries God does say there are things that are important to me there are rules and boundaries in the ways that my kingdom works and how I relate to my creation and the created world and there are boundaries and there are certain lines I don't want you to cross not only do I not want you to cross my boundaries, I've established boundaries that I don't want you to cross to other people. A very simple and really a common biblical word for boundaries is law. Can somebody say law? God outlines and says, look, I don't want you to break my law or to cross my boundaries. There are certain things that are not acceptable to me. And there's a word that doesn't, isn't often preached, or at least if it is preached or if it is shared, it's not always shared in a very constructive or positive manner, but there is such a thing called sin. Sin, when you hear that word, I don't know what, where you first heard it or who used to pound it to you and explain it to you, but there is such a thing as sin. And sin is why we need a Savior. 
Sin is why we need a Savior. I want to give you, for those who keep notes, those who have a phone and can keep notes, you might want to take notes here for a few minutes because I'm getting ready to outline a few blocks of text, and I want to show them to you, and I want you to look at them because I want to try to give you a great biblical understanding of sin because in, this, in the day we live in, what happens is that society and people want the permission to define sin or to redefine sin. That's one reason why some of you are not attracted to church or attracted to God because somebody has redefined or has defined something that you knew in your heart was wrong, but they said it was okay. Said it was okay to treat you that way. Said it was okay for me to be a Christian and treat you that way. It was okay for me to do this and do that. But as I just said before, there are some places that God says, here's my boundary. And I'm not crossing it. So I want you to take notes. For those of you who take notes, let's write down a few texts here. And I want to walk through them real quick. And then I want to end today with a story. And I want to show you of how God is our Savior, how he works in our life and how he redeems us. I'm going to try to do this in the next few minutes. I'll say it that way. So the first text I want, text I want to show you, John, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John Chapter 1, if you're a note taker, take these notes, put this down in your text, highlight it in your Bible, what app, whatever you have. Here's what the Bible says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is what everybody? Is light and there is no darkness in him at all. There's no darkness in God. God is 100% light. He is full light, no darkness. He doesn't have any sin in him. So we are lying. Look what the Bible says. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. Can't say you're a Seahawks fan and wear a Patriots jersey. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. That's offensive. Can't happen. You can't say, oh, yeah, me and God are good, but I'm just going to live in the dark. I'm going to do my stuff in the dark. Well, yeah, me, well, yeah, me and God, yeah, we good. God's like, no, I'm in the light, you in the dark. You over there, I'm over here. Maybe he says it like, hey, you over here, I'm over here. I don't think he talks like that. But anyway, says, but, so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. I love that word. Because the Bible brings that up a lot of times when it talks about sin. It talks about practicing sin it talks about practicing sin there are some sins that you practice so well that you're really good at come on listen you are in the major leagues in that sin right there you are starting quarterback in that sin you don't need a lot of preparation you don't need a lot you can run that offense like that it's interesting how our whole lives in fact some people ahead of us our fathers, our mothers, our grandparents were perfecting sin. You wonder how hard, how easy it is for you to drink. You, know, you don't understand how easy it is for you to run around and cheat. You don't understand how easy that is. That's easy because it's been in your family. And you've been watching it and perfecting it. You've seen film of dysfunction your whole life. And here's the thing. You may think, well, I ain't never going to treat my kids like that. I ain't never going to treat my wife like that. Wrong. Dead wrong. Unless you understand 
that God is the only one, am I preaching yet, that Jesus is our Savior and he has to deliver us from our sin. And so he says that, that if you're not only people when we're in darkness practicing darkness, but we need to practice the truth. We've got to start in the little leagues, right? We've got to start on JV and eventually graduate to where we are practicing the things that God wants us to do. Let's keep going. But if we are living in the light, somebody say living in the light. Make our home in the light, right? As God is in the light, then we have fellowship, watch this, with each other. The commonality and community of relationship in the church is fellowship with each other when we are in the light together. We can't have fellowship if we're living in the darkness. It's good. I ain't got time to preach that all the way. Maybe you should go home and study that. Write these texts down. We have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much? All sin. Jesus is not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of it. He knows what it is. He knows how bad it is. He knows how deep it is. He knows how destructful it is. And he knows what you're capable of if you let it go. You could be locked up just like your uncle. Okay, there we go. Need my mic. I'm good. It just ran out of batteries. Okay, where was I at? I lost my train of thought. All sin. Was that what I was talking about? Y'all supposed to be taking notes. I lost my train of thought. It's okay. God is good. I was talking about all sin, wasn't I? But I was trying to say something with that. I got distracted. That's right. Thank you. Somebody's listening. Go ahead and preach. You could. You know, that's what's interesting is that sometimes we don't realize what we're capable of. Like, like you don't understand the wrong conditions, or I should say the right conditions. Ain't no telling what you do. Are we telling the truth in here? So anyway, he can cleanse us from all of that because he understands the depth of our need. If we claim, here's what gets, here's where the Bible starts getting real. I better hurry up. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Here's what it's saying. If we're saying that we don't cross any boundaries, who are we fooling? Fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. Watch this. You're not fooling anybody else around you. You're not fooling anybody. One of the... <laughs> One of the best things I've heard a preacher say, there was a big game or something happening on church, and it was during church time, and somebody said, look, the preacher said, some of y'all need to just go home and watch the game. He said, just go home, because you're not, you're, you're not here. Just go home and just watch. You're not fooling nobody. Just, this was before you could pull it up on your phone. So just go home and just watch the game. God would rather you go home and just watch the game than sit up in here with the game on your mind. You're not fooling anybody, right? God says, you're not fooling me. You're fooling yourself. Here's what it says. But, I love that. It's a good but right there. Conjunction that negates all the statements before that. That's English. 
But if we confess, come on, can we say this together? If we confess our sins to him, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know what confess means? To be real about it. To be honest. Look, to vocalize it. To say it, those who are in love relationships, it's one thing to just say, I'm sorry. It's another thing to say, I'm sorry for this, that, this, and that. Because it means you understand the boundary that you crossed. So God says, look, when you confess it, when you say, yep, I did it, you are cleansing yourself, and he is faithful to forgive us. That's first, that's first John. Let's go to this one. First John chapter 3. Look what it says. Everyone who what? sins is breaking God's law for sin all sin is contrary to the law of God you know what he's saying he's saying look I don't act that way God's like that's not my personality I don't do that you know what God is saying who does that that's what God came up with that first who does that because I don't do that that's not my nature and so what he tries to say is look you are sons and daughters of mine, so you need to act like you have my last name. When you're in public, you need to act like you got my last name. When you're around the table, when you're at your job, you need to act. You can't act a fool all week and then ask for Sabbath off. I ain't writing you no letter. Please don't ask me to do that because I'm not doing it. I'm serious. I stopped doing it. Could you can't write a letter for me? Nope, I'm not doing it. I don't know what you do at your job. What he's saying is, it's contrary to the law. Look at this. And you know, look at this, this gets even better, that Jesus came to take away our sins. And there is no sin in him. Look what Jesus is saying. Jesus is like this. You got a time bomb in your hand that's going to blow up eventually. You may, be, you may be really good at hiding this bomb, but eventually it's going to blow up. You're like, look, you know what? So you got something around your neck. What is that? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a new, it's the new Apple Watch. It's like the big Apple chain now, you know. But it looks like it's, it's got numbers on. It looks like it's going backwards. Yeah, I know. It's like it's got a timer on it. You sure that's not a bomb? No, I'm asking. It's a new chain. You know, it's just a new thing. You ain't seen this? This is old school. It's like Flavor Flav, you know. It's a new thing. And you can hide it. You can paint. You can accessorize it. Put a little gold chain on it. But guess what? Eventually, what's it going to do? It's going to blow up. And you know what Jesus is like every day? He's like, um, can you give me that bomb? And we're like, what bomb? He's like, okay. I'm talking about the thing that's around your neck that's getting ready to blow up. Can you, can you give that to me, please? That's what confessing your sin is. And Jesus is saying, I want to take away your sins. He's, you're not like, okay, here's all of my sins, and here's a few things. I got this really big one, but you can't have it. You're like, no, 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 don't take that. He's like, can I please, can I please have a bomb? It's going to kill you. Can you just give it to me? He says, I'm here to take away all your sins because there's no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. Now, that doesn't sound like that's true, but it's true. What he's saying is, when you're living in me, you won't purposely do it. Sometimes we will sin. We will sin because there are certain boundaries we don't realize we're crossing. But God will begin to remove what makes us have those sins and those temptations. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Other words, if God's like, give me that sin, we give it to him, and you're like, can I have it back? 
You know that sin you took earlier? Can I just borrow that real quick? Just 45 minutes. I'll get right back to you. Like, you don't understand this. Like, I'm trying to remove it all from you. I'm trying to take it away. Look at Romans 6. Write this one down. Romans 6 and 19, uh, 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Come on, think about that. Whatever, whatever you choose to listen to, if you choose to listen to the comments on Instagram, if you choose to listen to whatever input or whatever somebody says about you, whether it's positive or negative, whether elected official or not, whether they say what you are and you believe it, that's what you become a slave to. The Bible's saying, look, when you, you say, I'm going to listen to you, you become a slave to it. Look what he says. You can be a slave to what? To sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness living. Can I go back to that word again? It's practice. God starts you out with something really small. Sometimes it's just like this. I need you to wake up earlier. I'm tired. I was up all night. God's like, I need you to just wake up one half an hour earlier. I just want you to open your Bible. Just start with one verse. Can we do that? Can we start with that? Can we just start with something simple? And God begins to build it. And that's where righteousness comes from, from your obedience. Look at this. Romans 6.23, write this one down. For the wages of sin is what? But the gift, free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the way the sin works. Sin is like, yeah, you keep on doing it. It's like this. Sin is like a really good waiter. You just go into the restaurant and you just ball out. You just order whatever you want. And then sin is like, here's that check right here. Um, you owe me death. That's what I'm, that's what, uh, death is the, can you sign right here? I just need death. That's what I need. Have a great time. When you get done, I got this bill for you right here. The Bible says the free gift of God, right? He doesn't charge us. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One more block of scriptures I want to give you. This is great. Romans 3 verses 20 through 26. I'm going to try to end this as soon as I can. For now, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Listen to this. You cannot depend on just doing the law to be made right with God. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law, the boundary says, yep, look at this. This is not what God wants. This is not God's idea. It's not what he expects of you, and it shows you, okay, I'm crossing the boundary. Okay, that's not what God wants me to do. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in who? In Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who does what? No matter who you are. Look at the difference here. Salvation comes when you believe. Not when you know theologically or accept it in theory. Not when you just understand it, but when you actually believe it and live by it. For everyone has sinned. I love this. Everybody. Anybody in here not sinned? No, everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet, God, I love that. That's another conjunction. 
Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Can you see that? God held back. Because the other text we just read said that what's the wages of sin? What, is, what does sin require of us? death but in our place Jesus died so that that price was not paid in other words right when death was getting ready to collect the check from us Jesus walked by and said I got this I'm gonna sign and he put his signature at the bottom he swiped his own credit card which bankrupt heaven and paid the price for us this sacrifice shows that God was being fair I read that in times past for he was looking ahead including them what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. And confessing this means you admit that you messed up and that you need help. That's the foundation. That's, that's, it's complex, it's, it's a very deep theological concept that, that's throughout Scripture, but it's something we got to start with. you got to believe that Jesus is your Savior, and therefore, you believe that you need Him. It all comes from believing in Him, and not just believing Him in your mind, but in your practice, in how you live, in submitting yourself before Him, and living a life that says, you know what, I'm going to be honest about my issues, I'm going to be real about what I just did, and I'm going to give it to Him daily, and surrender, and listen to His plan. So I'm running out of time, but I want to give you this before I leave. This is the process. I want you to see this in action. There's an Old Testament story of, you probably heard this phrase before, but there's an Old Testament story in Genesis 18. And it's the story of God bringing judgment to a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. What you need to understand is that Abraham, who really was called the father of God's nation, that God spoke to a man named Abraham in his old age and said, Abraham, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to travel to a place where I'm sending you. And the Bible says he did this by faith. God didn't tell him where to go, but he told him to leave. He was old. He was like 75 years old. He said, I want you to leave your hometown, and I want you to go to another place. As he told him to go, he, had, he brought some of his family with him, a family member by the name of Lot. As they were traveling and God was showing him to the place he wanted them to live, when they got to this clearing and this great land, him and Lot stood there, and Abraham could have chose the best place he wanted to live. He was like, I, I want to live here, you live there. But Abraham says, all right, Lot, nephew, you choose where you want to live. And Lot says, he sees this great plus, plush land, he says, I want to live over there. Now, the problem was where he wanted to live was in a really difficult and wicked city called Sodom. And so Lot says, okay, cool. I'm going to go over to live by Sodom. He says, I'm just going to live right outside of Las Vegas. I'm not going to live in Vegas. I'm just going to live right outside of it. And so what happened was Lot gets caught up 
Lot gets caught up a couple times. And Abraham actually actually goes save Lot from the army. Abraham's such a bad dude, he has his own personal army. He took his own army and rescued him. I mean, that's pretty deep. And so Lot is kind of getting into a lot of mess. Now, here's what I want to show you. That while Abraham one day was sitting under his tent, he's minding his own business, the Bible says that some men came to visit Abraham. And when they came to visit him, Abraham realized these weren't ordinary men. In fact, they were the, it was the Lord visiting him with his angels. Isn't that pretty interesting that God shows up? And when, God, when he shows up, Abraham realizes it. He goes and sets a feast. He gets everything together. And they're sitting and talking. Abraham is literally sitting down and talking to God. Here in the story, the Bible says, Then the men, men got up from their meal, and they looked towards Sodom. Here's what the Bible says. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. So they came to visit Abraham. They have a good time together. And they get up, and they're going towards Sodom. Here's what the Lord says. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked. I love this. If I can give you a word, if you're taking notes, I want to give you this word. Say it after me. Initiation. This is part of the process. This is how Jesus saves us. First of all, there is initiation. He says, I've got a plan. And the Lord says, I wonder if I should tell Abraham our plan. So God says, I'm going to tell Abraham my plan. I'm initiating something. I have a plan. Here's what he says. So the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. He said, this city has gotten to the point where they're not just crossing boundaries with me. They're doing it on purpose. And they're getting to the point where they're tempting me. They're like, yeah, I'm going to cross this boundary. What are you going to do about it? Said sin was out of control. It was flagrant. It's a flagrant foul. Y'all know the difference in basketball between a foul and a flagrant foul? Said you're doing it intentionally. So God says, I'm going. Look at verse 2. I love this. Or verse 21. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. Now, I know it sounds weird to think. How does the Lord not know what's happening there? But look at the process here. Not only is there an initiation, but there's an investigation. God says, I've heard an outcry. I've heard this justice. Let me go back to that first. I'm going to go down there personally to see if they are as wicked as I've heard of. If not, I want to know. I want you to understand and see Jesus in this. That Jesus not only has heard the outcry, but Jesus says, I'm going to go down there personally and investigate. It's the same way it happens in your life. He knows and hears the outcry. He knows the dysfunction. And he says, guess what? I'm going to personally come to you and find out what I hear is true. Let me personally investigate this. So Abraham says, Lord, I want you to understand what happens in this. So God tells Abraham, look, I'm getting ready to destroy the city. That was his plan. I'm going down to check it out. Now Abraham realizes, wait a minute. He says, now listen, can I ask you something? Suppose there were like 50 people that were righteous in the city. Would you destroy the city? He begins to negotiate with him. God's like, okay, cool. If there's 50 people, 
I'll take it. Then he starts negotiating down. 45? All right, I'll take 45. What about 40? I'll take 40. 30? Can you do 30? Finally, he gets all the way down to 10. That's what the Bible says. Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if you speak one more time. If I speak one more time, suppose there are only 10 found there. And the Lord replies, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Can I tell you that the city got so bad? There was only 10 people there that were righteous. City was so corrupt, there was only 10 people. Here's why he went to 10. Because Abraham realized my family's in there. You do the math, Lot's family totaled up to 10. And Abraham is saying, can you please not destroy the city because of the 10? Here's, here's the big picture. I don't have a lot of time to explain this. But you got to understand that the city was depending on the righteousness of someone else. And the way, the reason the city was going to be destroyed was not just because it was wicked, because there was a lack of the righteous. And can I tell you that you, we will be destroyed, and I pray that we're not, but we will only be destroyed because of the lack of righteousness that is accredited to us. That when we accept Jesus, it's all the righteousness that we need. And the righteousness of the city was dependent on ten people. Ten people. So the angels go down, the Bible says, they go into the city, and look, I can't even read this because the kid's in here. You got to read this for yourself, how bad the city was, how bad it was. And look, it wasn't just the people, it was Lot. Lot was messed up. You got to read this for yourself. Lot's answer and solution was so jacked, it wasn't even right. Finally, the angel says, look, do you have any other relatives in the city? They asked, get them out of this place. Your sons, your daughters, get them out and anyone else. For we are about to destroy the city completely. The outcry against the place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. Not only was there an initiation and investigation, there was an intercession by Abraham, and now there's an intervention. He's telling them, look. You better get everybody out of the city because I'm getting ready to destroy this thing. He tells Lot, you better get out of here. Our mind is made up. The city is corrupt. The nation is going down. We need to get you out of the city. So, look at this. When Lot still hesitated, he heard the angels just tell him, we're getting ready to destroy the city. Lot has been in the city so long, he's messed up. And the Bible says he's hesitating. Look what the Bible says. The angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters. He must have had a lot of hands. I don't know. But he grabbed everybody and rushed them outside of the city. For the Lord was merciful. Can I just tell you, 
Can I just tell you that when you need a Savior and you understand that God is rushing into your life and there are times when you will hesitate, you will fight against God, you will say, no, I'm torn. I'm torn between staying here and going with you. I'm torn between my friends and making the right decision. I'm torn between my ex and my baby mama and my baby daddy and really doing this the right way. I'm torn between this life and that life. I don't know what to do. That thank God for the hand of God who begins to reach out to you and grab you by your hand and drag your dysfunctional behind out of the city. And here's the thing. It's not about just you. That your deliverance is key to your generation. Your deliverance is key to your family. God's trying to not just save you. He's trying to save everybody you know and get you out the city. Because if you can't tell by looking on the news, let me announce to you that God's getting ready to destroy the city. So he rushed them out. And they were safely outside. Look what the angel says. On the angel's order, running for your lives. Look what he says. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Look what he says. Don't look back. When you've been delivered, when Jesus is your Savior, you can't look back. You can't look back at your old life. You can't look back at what you used to be. You can't go back at old pictures and old places. You've got to make your decision. I'm getting out of the city, and I'm going forward. I'm going to a place where God is calling me, and I'm not going to look back. Because when you look back, you get caught up. When you look back, you get frozen. And some of you have not gotten to the place where God wants you to be simply because he's not, it's not because he's not powerful, it's because you're looking back. Jesus is saying, how long are you going to struggle with that? How long are you going to still be broke? How long are you going to not be able to pay your bills? How long are you going to see this dysfunction keep happening in your family? How long are you guys going to be going through this? Because I'm trying to deliver it from you. I'm trying to take it from you. But you keep going back to the city. And this is what I'm trying to tell you today. I know I'm running a little bit over than I usually want to. But I want you to get this in your spirit. That Jesus is your Savior. Listen. Not just the Savior of humanity, but your Savior. If you believe in him, you can be set free. And listen, the time is coming when the angel is getting ready to say it's finished. When God's getting ready to say, that's it. I've made up my mind. It's over. I'm coming back again. And when he makes that decision, he's coming for people who said, I believe in you. He's not coming for you just because you want him to. He's coming because you had relationship with him and you trusted him and you wanted what he wants for you. So we're going to sing a song. And then when we get done, actually, I'm going to pray now. And we're going to sing a song. I want your eyes to be uh, closed. Everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a second. I just want to pray for someone today. Because someone needs to understand today that Jesus is their Savior. You're in a whole bunch of mess. Your life is messed up. You're not only in Sodom and Gomorrah, you're in charge of Sodom and Gomorrah. You've been an elected official. 
You make it happen. And God is saying, look, I'm trying to deliver you. And here's the thing. You're not fooling anybody. You're definitely not fooling me. And I don't want that for you. I want you to be free. I want you to know today that we still believe in a Savior. We still believe in a Jesus that is powerful in us to rescue us from our sins. And I want to pray for somebody today as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed. That some of you here today, you need the angel of the Lord to, to grab you by your hand. You're saying, God, I'm having a hard time. I'm hearing you say, get out of the city. But I feel like I'm wavering back and forth. And I just need you to grab my hand and deliver me. If that's you today, would you just put your hand up? Nobody's going to judge you nobody's God's bless you I see you that's you God sees you right there amen you can put your hands down I just want to pray for you right now and then when we get done praying I want you to stand and I want you to sing this song as a declaration that you believe in God that he's saving you from your sins it's the way I want you to do it church I want you to repeat after me and I want those who raise your hand to repeat after me too I want everybody to pray together say dear Jesus I need you to rescue me. Dear Jesus, I'm in trouble. Dear Jesus, I believe you're my Savior. Save me today. Deliver me from myself. And make me right with you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. I want you to know today, if you prayed that prayer with faith, that God has forgiven you, God 